Warning, what you're about to hear may contain mature language, adult situations, and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Here we are, folks. It's me, Elliot Greenman, also known as the Greenster, joined by Keith Vance for another episode of the Trash Heap Podcast. Hello, you poor devils. No, it's the it's the show with uh, hot questions and even hotter wings. <sighs> that's wrong. That's a much more popular show. That's unfortunately not ours. No, that's true. We also don't uh, interview anybody. No. I think if we did, though, it would be, the setup would be, there's hot ones where people eat progressively spicier wings. There's that stupid show that Kevin Hart has where he puts people in an ice bath and interviews them. What? Yeah. He cribbed that, he blatantly cribbed that idea. Like, that was a direct inspiration off of hot ones. He was like, hmm, yeah. hot. What if we did one that was cold? Yeah. Yeah. Does the does the water get progressively colder, or do you? Like, I don't think so. I think it's. I've never watched it because we, mm. because I was so upset by the concept. But yeah, I'm pretty sure it's just a normal ice bath, and it's just like the longer you sit in it, the colder you get. Would you rather do, regardless of the politics of who came up with the idea first and steal, being stolen, like just base idea? This is the first time you've heard of either of these notions: the the wings, the increasingly spicy wings, or the or the, the the ice bath. It's sort of a tough call because which would you rather do? I think I could get through the wings pretty easily. They don't they don't douse them heavily. You know no. they're not big wings and they're not heavily sauced. I think I could get those through those pretty easily. However, I am at a point in my life where I am being more cautious about spicy stuff because the consequences can be pretty awful. And so I think I'd rather sit in the ice bath just because there's like actual benefits to that. Like I'd come out of there feeling like a million bucks. Now, do you think when, you know, people always talk about like, oh, the consequences of eating spicy stuff. Do you think that is actually true to the, it is the spice that is causing that or what they're eating in the form of spicy foods? Like, is it from eating spicy hot sauce or is it from eating a bunch of fucking deep fried chicken wings covered in hot sauce i think it's both because well from what i understand about spicy stuff is that the capsaicin isn't actually hot it doesn't actually burn anything but it tricks your brain it sends a like it sends it has a chemical that sends a, a message to your brain that tells you it's burning so there's no actual like physical damage happening to your mouth you know when you when you consume it it's just all like psychological sure but there is like some kind of inflammatory response and i've had enough diarrhea in my lifetime to tell you that some diarrhea just comes out and is uncomfortable but hot sauce diarrhea can come out and is painful hmm not because my flesh is burning, but whatever's in there is reacting in a certain way. And that's the thing. It can be, uh, the time frame doesn't matter, right? It's not like a eat a spicy chicken wing, uh, an hour later get uh, flaming hot diarrhea that uh, ruins your day, right? It could be the next day or even the day after that. So the the sort of, I, and I'm not I'm not necessarily expecting to be affected by it. So this, uh, in my mind, the psychological impact is, has been severed. There's a disconnect. Hmm, okay. So I don't know. I don't know enough about the, uh, the chemical interactions. All I know is uh, a friendly ice bath is, uh, is positive for the human body. So how about you, man? When was the last uh, time would, you did a hot wing challenge? I've never done a hot wing challenge, but I would definitely go for the wings and not the ice bath because. Well, when was the last time you had Korean uh, barbecue or uh, Korean fried chicken? Because they really mm. douse it. In yeah, the sauce. I'm trying to think. I, I probably been it's probably been a, a fair minute since I've had had that. Um, 
Um, um, um, um, but also, I don't find that that sauce very, very spicy. The you know the Korean uh, gochujang sauce. Mm. I could eat a lot of that. Well, let's see. Maybe we should put this to the test. Maybe we should run you through a. Uh... Some kind of a hot sauce gauntlet. Let's do it. And see what your butthole produces. <laughs> I mean, the, 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 who knows? But I do know that I hate getting into ice cold water. I mean, I don't like that either. But if given a choice between um, a less than efficient poop mm-hmm. and, you know, the the euphoria and just lightness of coming out of cold water like have you ever been into like an alpine lake or like a very cold mountain lake like after you spend time in there and then get out like all of your joints feel awesome and your muscles feel loose it's a great feeling hmm you know i get that same feeling after getting going getting into hot water which is much more pleasant no incorrect well i used to think that way too and i was wrong that's your well that's your brain tricking you much like the the effect that you're talking about with hot sauce, that's just psychosomatic. Jeez. Because the hot water is increasing blood flow and inflammation. I feel like my whole life has been a lie. Yeah, it has. It's almost like you've been trapped in virtual reality. Whoa, which brings us to today's movie. Yeah. We watched Brain Scan, and you know what that means. Uh, we're going to mumble for like an hour and then the show will kind of just meander for a little bit uh, towards the end. We won't really know how to wrap it up. And then I'll just eventually say like, okay, that's enough. And then the show will end. But you've probably already stopped listening at that point. So you don't even know that that's where we got to. I've stopped listening right now. Beautiful. Um, yeah, this is the trash heap. We do the thing where we take the forgotten movies that people didn't like and we give them a second chance. Yo, you almost got it. That was so close. That's that's best. That's the closest I ever have. That was Come a B plus. And it's probably the closest I ever will be. And we're out to uh, prove once and for all there are no garbage movies, only garbage opinions. So yeah, we watched Brain Scan from 1993. 94. Starring... No. Or did it sure? come out in Japan in 93? I'm going to have to do some double check. Not that it matters, honestly. It doesn't really There's matter. no fucking... 1994, I, I, I'm sorry. It never feels good to be right. I'll tell you that right now. So yeah, it's uh, 1994, starring a young Eddie Furlong, as you said earlier, sex poet Frank Langella, T. Ryder Smith as the trickster. Introducing T. Ryder Smith. As the trickster. That's from the trailer, man. They make a that, big deal. True. They were really hanging their hat on this character as if he might become like the next Freddy Krueger or something. Yeah. Spoiler, he did not. <laughs> he did not. Um, it's directed by John Flynn, a guy who's known for making perfectly fine action movies. Like, like a Rolling Thunder and Out for Justice and uh, Lock... Lock up or lockdown? Uh, the Sylvester Stallone prison movie. Oh yeah, lock up for sure. I will say, if I can compliment uh, old Johnny Flynn real quick, that's one thing I noticed about this movie is there were not many noticeably incompetent shots. Right. In, Correct. A, in a lot of these yeah. types of movies, there'll be shots or moments or scenes where you're just like, it, you you notice them. Right. They stick right. out because there's something wrong with them. Uh, yes. This is competently shot and directed in a lot of ways. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. It's written by uh, Andrew Kevin Walker, most famous for writing the screenplay for Seven, based on a story by Brian Owens, who just sounds like somebody you've gone, you went to high school with. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, the the writing credit. You think it makes a lot of sense? Structurally, huh? yes. There is okay, some things yeah. I noticed. Not that I would say directly compared to Seven, but in terms of like a a murder mystery thriller, like this movie is very much structured in that way and less like a like an 80s, 90s kind of splatter yeah. movie, which it, it, it appears to be in the trailer, but it is not, not that at all. Not really. I mean, it's like, this movie has an interesting tone. I want to get into that more, obviously, as we go along. But yeah, what exactly the origins of this story and how it's written and how it uh, comes out? I think it may have taken some, you know, uh, been changed around through production, maybe. 
But yeah, so that's the movie. Uh, Keith, what's this movie about? Brain Scan is the story of Young Boy, the uh, timeless character of Young Teenage Boy, who lives sort of a reclusive life, uh, aside from a small circle of friends, where his mom is deceased, his father is always away for some kind of work that he does, and young boy uh, fills his time with things like horror movies, Fangoria magazine, loud metal music, and terrifying video games. And one day, he is approached by his friend to play the ultimate horrifying experience called Brain Scan. Brain Scan. The titular game. And then some, uh, what, ha- what, what happens? What's the game? What is the... Uh... Well, when he starts playing the, the game, the things, things go a little south. Like, you kill someone in the game, you kill somebody for real, right? That's the basic yeah, the basic idea, right? Yeah, which the thing I like about that is that the idea is that uh, this kid has played them all. He's played all the scariest games ever to exist, and nothing thrills him, nothing interests him. But this game is different, and he, you have to call a mysterious phone number in order to get a hold of the game, and... Once he does, he's sort of hypnotized, put into a trance, possessed, if you will, by this game, and he becomes uh, a serial killer that has to kill and uh, eliminate any evidence of his kill and any witnesses. I like how this mo- like this thing it's like set up like it's like this like weird like underground video game and you, like you said he calls the mysterious number and a strange man or answers and then but it's a recording but he thinks he's talking to a real person but where does he get the phone number it's from fangoria magazine yeah there's you an know, ad not, running in the magazine yeah it's not like he got this like oh i was on the dark web and i discovered this like weirdo thing it's just like he just get he does an ad in a major magazine pu- published that you can buy in like regular stores this came out this movie came out at the height of kind of two different concepts one being like just the 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 complete fear of video games, how they're going to corrupt youth, you know, and the fact that you won't be able to tell the difference between that video games are becoming so realistic that you can't tell the difference between reality. Yeah, there and is video a, games. There is a is, big controversy around games like Night Trap. If you remember that one, it was a I believe a Sega CD or Sega Saturn game, and yeah. it was full motion video, and so it was like watching a movie. And you were sort of controlling what was happening and influencing. But you weren't things. controlling like what, like you weren't like physically making a character move. These were like no. cutscenes, and you could select certain things. It was more like a choose-your-own-adventure. And any times that the graphics were like you actually were doing something, it was still just the same little pixelated. You know, that was the technology that existed at the time, which I think is so funny. Where it's like. People were terrified that you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between reality and not reality based on these pixelated, you know, little characters. And now, no one gives a shit about like that. And there are games like Call of Duty where you're like, let's what's the what's the plot of this game? Like, are you going to this town and you kill brown people? Well, yeah, and we actually have virtual reality, so you're yeah, actually exactly. in there and like holding weapons and immersing yourself in it. Yeah, yeah, so. and no one gives a shit. And it's like. Uh, you know, comparatively, like imagine if like the people who are losing their their shit about those games from the '90s saw the stuff that exists today. You know, no, and there's always going to be people like that who see something and it it just completely decimates their s- sensibilities and just upsets the apple cart of how they perceive the world. And they've got to kind of get their hands on it and get control of it, right? Because they it's solely because of the new the concept that it was something new, not actually yeah. that it was doing those things because now that those you know now that you have like i said games that much more simulate actual reality and you're doing things much more realistic uh today but it's not new anymore and those same people don't give a fuck anymore well and what are the most popular games animal crossing animal crossing and the sims games where you're you're doing mundane tasks like the laundry or mowing the lawn or taking care of a baby we're going to the market to gather supplies. Seriously, like, and fuck <laughs> Animal Crossing, man. People love that game. Like, that game is a fucking capitalist nightmare. Like, why the fuck do I have a mortgage in this video game? You know, why do I have to do the stock market just to get by? 
And the, the wild part is people like that because they feel that they can get a handle on it within the confines of a video game because it's low risk, right? No consequences. Right. If your farm fails and you default on your loan, oh, well, I'll just start a new game. But in real life, it's much more terrifying. That's correct. Maybe it's like also like in this video game, like I can't, I can't, um, I can't afford a, uh, I can't afford a, a, a house in real life, but I can afford one in, in this video game and it comes with a pinball machine. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. Okay. Whatever. I, I got really like uh, depressed playing Animal Crossing and I stopped, but I now I see why some delusional folks might be into it. I think what you've uncorked here is the brilliance of this movie because it has spurned this discussion about the nature of uh, fear and and existential terror and how to cope with reality versus uh, these fictional worlds. I think that's exactly yeah. what they were going for, and I think you you hooked into it right away without even realizing it. Yeah, my hat off to so. T. Ryder Smith for. He really uh, <laughs> leading the way. <laughs> he really, he really sat at home in such a subtle. He really got in my head. Um, the other thing this movie does, that's you know just such a characteristic of its time, is that it has this idea that computers can do anything and that computer nerds can make anything happen. Because this little kid, uh, young boy, character of young boy basically invent like has like this setup where he has like all these surveillance systems and all these like elaborate computer systems he's all running from his like windows 90 like well, this is pre 90 windows 95 even uh and he eventually essentially invents like siri or something like he has like some little you know animated ghoul that answers his phone calls for him and he can talk to to turn on lights and ask questions and get the answers to uh, and then the game itself, the brain scan game itself, it's a CD-ROM that once you put it in and connect it to your TV, it sends like radio signals to your brain that puts you into a hallucinatory state where you play the game inside your own brain, apparently, right? Yeah. That's the conceit. So that's, that's how we start this whole thing out, right? As he gets, he wants this game, he wants, he wants the next thrill, he goes for it and then things start to get a little out of hand i'm glad you mentioned his room because it really is a marvel of youthful energy because he is left to his own devices by his father never being home so he has adapted in such a fascinating way where he alternates between having this super cool room with like weird lights and like posters and he's always playing music he's got like a whole attic space to himself or whatever but then he's also his survival instincts is have kicked into where he's got this voice activated computer setup that can answer his phone and he's just like totally hooked into all this technology and, and has it figured out to where he's like crafted his own little fortress but what the movie doesn't do is waste any time explaining how he did that. There's no like throwaway exposition or dialogue with other characters where he's like, yeah, I had to reroute my blah, blah, blah through my this right. and that, right? Which is what normally would happen. It's just, look at this cool shit. You'll have to make the leap on how he did it. No one cares. And I love that. Yeah. I mean, this is also very much a continuation of of, of an idea we've seen before, like, if this had been a movie from the eighties, you know, prior to like the computers, uh, the personal computer wave and he would, what he would have had set up in his room is he would have had like some sort of Rube Goldbergian type machine that gets some Cokes, right. You know, like, and a bag of chips. Oh yeah, definitely. And then his friend would be like, Whoa, radical. That's so cool. That's hilarious too. He doesn't drink soda like normal people. He's constantly drinking milk like a four year old. Like he comes pervert, out of the game like for the first time killer. drenched in sweat and exhausted from yeah. running. He immediately slugs down an entire glass of milk like he's been wandering through the desert in search of water. <laughs> I mean, that would be like a characteristic you would give to an actual serial killer in a, in a more like just straight up serial killer type movie. Like after he's kills, he comes back and enjoys milk. While staring into the black void of nothingness. Yeah, know? that's a Clockwork Orange, right? They hang out at the yeah. milk bar because they're sick, sick fucking assholes. Sick little pervies. 
Um, so yeah, he plays this game where uh, he makes he goes around and he's like, ooh, he's like in the body of a killer, and he's like, oh, I'm in the house and I'm in, I'm stalking people and I'm murdering them, but it's all just a game. They have games it? like that now. There's a game yeah. called Dead by Daylight where you play as a serial killer, like as a as a movie slasher, and then they have add-ons to where you can play as like Michael Myers or the Screamy Boy, uh, Ghostface. Yeah, like we have that, but it's not nearly as sort of sinister and thrilling as it is here. No, in the not movie. at all. This is, this is a much more salacious type of variation. Yeah, that he kills somebody. And then the next day on the news, he's like, "Oh, there's been a murder in my town." They so what they don't they don't go the sort of normal route, or the at least the the route we've seen before, where it's like he can't tell if he he's like wrestling with the notion that he committed murder, right? Not wrestling with this idea of like the game versus reality. He sees that news report. And instantly knows that he fucking killed somebody. And yeah, he's and like, he oh shit, looks, I killed somebody. I got to do something about his, this. His, his freezer, and there's a human foot in there that he cut off the dude. <laughs> yeah. And then he goes Which, to bury the foot in the woods. And then, like, yeah, the dog keeps trying to take it and stuff. And, like, I, I, I like, it is kind of a bizarre tactic for to shift that quickly in a thriller type movie because aren't you trying to like build suspense and it just immediately cuts that out. And I there's a part of me that wonders too, like if in the inception of the idea for this movie in earlier drafts of the screenplay, if it was more of a straight like a black comedy or satire than you know a horror movie, like an act straight up horror movie, because a lot of the setups here don't seem unintentionally funny, but seem like they're setting up a joke that maybe doesn't ever end up happening, you know? Yeah, you could add some xylophone music or something, and all of a sudden it would be like a a kooky caper instead of right. a, a life-or-death thriller. It's really on that line. And then shortly after Finding the Foot, we meet this, this uh, character of the trickster, and boy, is he something. He is something. He's not quite what you expect. No, even after having seen, like, if you watch the trailer prior to uh, watching the movie, and then when the, you'll still be kind of, like, surprised by how this character is represented, I think, in the film itself. Yeah, he shows up, and you sort of expect him to be more of a, like, Maurice from Little Monsters or Drop Dead Fred or something. Like, he isn't an antagonist, but he's not as sort of mischievous and wacky as you would think. He is more he, like a, a devil-on-the-shoulder type. He does seem... I think I had that same thought when you said Maurice from Little Monsters, because I was like, this character seems, like, transposed from Little Monsters and put into an R-rated movie, you know? Yeah, they're definitely bridging that gap between, like sort of scary oriented kids movie and like Nightmare yeah. on Elm Street like they wanted something in the middle and when he and when he we meet the trickster like a uh, young boy uh, goes and like turns the game back on or something or calls the back the number for the game and like they're like oh that number doesn't exist anymore and he turns the game on and then the trickster character who we've only really heard his voice before and uh, just seen like, like a pixelated th- you know JPEG not JPEG, but like a little pixelated like screen icon for. He comes out of the television set, uh, like via like something like out of Videodrome as like a computer generated head that's followed by a sack of guts, and then the rest of his body just kind of like materializes around him. And young boy's reaction to this is, "How'd you get in here?" <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much as if he didn't just watch him sort of like ooze out like, of the television his response like his reaction to the initial reaction to this happening and also the way he interacts with this guy is like he's the annoying neighbor character you know yeah and not this like murderous digital monster that just walked out of a television set he seems barely phased by what by watching him materialize in front of him 
Yeah, he is either completely dismissive of Trickster or he is screaming at him at the top of his lungs. There's no in-between. Yeah, it's a very bizarre character. And this character, he looks sort of like a human, but also not like a human. And uh, he loves the band Primus and eats like raw chicken and bananas mixed together. It's a very like... That's where like that that like that scene specifically where like he's like eating raw chicken and skittles and bananas all at the same time or whatever. I'm just like this is straight out of Little Monsters. Oh yeah, definitely. That was kind of the the exact stuff that I was expecting. The moment yeah. where he turns on the TV and watches the Three Stooges and mm-hmm. sort of slumps down and like timidly like crosses his hands. Uh, yeah, I wasn't expecting anything like that. That was a weird. That made it, it was a laugh out loud moment, but I was like, what is this for? Like, what are you trying to tell me with this? Well, what it's odd too is like, I was, uh, I was watching something or read somewhere in preparation for this episode that in the original screenplay or the original story, at least the trickster, the, the actor was just hired to do the voice. The, he was never going to be a physical manifestation. You were just going to kind of hear his voice through the game, you know, like, and he would talk to him through the television type of thing as just this like VR game character and have him be this like physical entity that comes out of the TV was something that came up later, which makes me, you know, wonder is like, okay, like we said, was this supposed to be more of a, like a satire comedy or in the original script, was it more serious and darker with, and didn't have like such some of these like more fantastical elements and ideas. There is actually a great piece on the T. Ryder Smith website where he talks about some of that stuff during uh, the casting process. On his own website? Yeah, because he's got some great photos too. What does he have to say about all that stuff? Uh, just kind of what you did was that the uh, the role changed quite a bit from from when he auditioned to when he was finally cast, it was Mm -hmm. constantly in flux and was starting out as just voiceover work. And then eventually molded into, you know, portraying the character under makeup. What was your, your, your initial reactions? Cause this, you said this was the first time you watched it, right? Yeah. All the way through. I had seen selected scenes and moments and clips and all that kind of stuff, but But like all out of context. Yeah. So I, I was familiar with the movie, but I never watched it all the way through. And it's and what, really interesting to me because the perception that you get when you see it in bite-sized chunks is not what is executed because no, it, it starts yeah. off with a bunch of character development and like backstory for little boy. They they don't sort of paint him in these broad strokes of, uh, oh, he's just a little unruly kid who hates authority and you know, just acts like a little shit and is into gross stuff and whatever and slugging down soda and eating gym, Slim Jims and things like that. He They set him up as this independent sort of latchkey kid. He yeah. is self-sufficient. He, he essentially lives alone. Uh, his relationship with his dad is through the answering machine. There's even a scene where he's playing back a message on the answering machine and he's sort of conversing with it as if they're talking on the phone. Mm-hmm. And he's sort of forlornly, you know, looking off into the distance as he responds. I was just going to say, also with the t- type of character like this, normally there would be something, you know, like the the computer nerd horror fan would be like bullied by other kids, but he's not, you know. No, they sort of just he, leave him alone. To yeah, he's just kind of he's just kind of there. He has a, like a he has like a little club at school for people who want to watch horror movies that there are multiple members of. Yeah, he's uh, got a couple of friends. Uh, he's got a scooter. A scooter, yeah. So he the, can get around. Like he's, I don't know. Girl, he's got all the boxes kind of checked here. The one the big he th- thing that he likes, the girl he likes, seems to like him back. Kind of, I don't know. They like, have a strange relationship. Very strange, yeah. And I want to get into that a little later. But the other big setup is he is a child of a, a widowed mother, wait, or widowed father. His, his dead. mom's dead. <laughs> he was with his mom in an awful car crash. Which he still has like a limp from. Yeah. And they don't, so there's permanent damage in his knee and he's got scars that he sort of looks at every once in a while. But there's no sort of implication from that other than he was traumatized and he misses his mom. Yeah. There's no connection to say like, 
oh, the dad was an alcoholic and uh, caused the car accident, and now he resents his father for it, and their right. their relationship is strained. There's nothing like that. It's literally just there was a horrible car accident, and he misses his mom, and his relationship with his father is not the best because his his dad's never home, and that's where it stops. But that's where also where the trickster begins. I guess so. Are we to understand? that the trickster is the ghost of his dead mother. <laughs> well, here's what I'm thinking, right? He only communicates through his to his dad through the answering machine, right? Only through a piece of technology. He only can, communicates with the trickster through the TV until the trickster comes out. The trickster is like the dad he never had. The dad who encourages him to go and commit murders in society and just have fun. It's true, actually. In the same way that, like, Chucky, the the killer doll, mm-hmm. uh, guides Andy and becomes his sort of uh, just father by proxy. Right. I think the trickster also becomes a father figure for young boy. What the hell is this kid's name? I can't. <sighs> I couldn't remember. It's like Johnny or, or Davy Johnny. or the Todd next door neighbor girl John. screams it a bunch. Michael, it's just Michael. That's it. Yeah, because she's constantly going over to his house and shouting at his window, Michael, Michael. No, but yeah, in reality, the the trickster character stresses him out and like tricks him into killing more people. But not really supernatural stuff. There's nothing like wild happening. Like this is, like I was saying earlier, this is kind of a more straightforward like thriller like the yes. trickster in this weird game is involved, but ultimately, it's just about people. Like he, well, even when the trickster's manipulating things in the real world, he's not using magic. He like calls on the telephone. Somebody on the telephone is like, "Hey, there's a weird kid sneaking around in your yard." You know? Yeah, he doesn't really intervene too much either. Like he's not pulling the strings of everyone. He's sort of just, just suggesting and and nudging this kid along into you know a messier and messier situation that's where as the movie went on and i sort of was watching the trickster act and behave he was sort of hovering around and floating around and talking behind uh michael's ear and like going left to right over his shoulder and it became like this situation where they paint a picture of him as not even really being there and being more like uh, a voice inside Michael's head, like this sort of malevolent cluster of ideas and motivations, but not maybe well, not really being there. That's really that's kind of interesting because Michael never really questions. Like he's he's like we said, he like he's his response to the trickster coming out of the TV is fairly benign. Then you know, watching a digital sack of guts just like come out of the TV and then become a physical being. And he never questions the reality of the trickster. At some point, he couldn't say, like, well, aren't you just part of the game? Doesn't this game, like, get inside my head? You know, like, are you even actually here? And that never happens. Um, I would say that this character is kind, is, while a lot of fun in as a thing of itself, is very bizarre overall in terms of, like, conception to presentation to its place in this type of movie. I thoroughly enjoyed this movie. I find a lot of it to be forgettable. Like after, like going back and be like, wait, what, what happened? Did this guy die or who got killed? Um, but that's kind of that's because that's kind of secondary stuff to what's fun about the movie, which is just the bizarrety and a young boy Eddie Eddie, Eddie uh, Furlong's performance as young boy just being kind of like I don't know. It kind of feels like he's reading cue cards a lot of the time. Well, apparently the director had a bit of a an issue with him on this movie. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe he was having some problems with starting to get into partying and stuff like that at this point, because the director, John Flynn said during filming, Eddie Furlong was a 15 year old kid who couldn't act. You had to slap him awake every morning. I don't want to get into knocking people, but I was not a big Eddie Furlong fan. <laughs> so I'm guessing maybe he was struggling a little bit, but he still he still shows why you know he was in movies in in some scenes here. Like he's pretty talented for a kid. I think particularly at that time too because now I think there's a lot more expectations for kid actors to actually be good. 
but go back and watch some movies from the 80s and early 90s and watch with what the kids are doing and 90 percent of them are just like uh my dog is here and that's about it you know that's all they got to, to bring and they're like i'm cute isn't that enough for you yeah pretty much or like they would be like over the top cheesy like uh right like that kid in the problem child movies Right, yeah. Where he's like he's like a Mad Magazine article come to life. Man, whatever happened to that kid? I don't know. Now, okay, imagine a version of Brain Scan where the trickster is played by the, the kid from Problem Child. That would be pretty funny. I would be down for that. So he stopped acting in 1996. The last movie he was in was Arnold Schwarzenegger's Eraser, and he plays... In an uncredited role as Russian teen. Wow. Uncredited. He was also in Forrest Gump as redheaded teen, uncredited. Weird. Yeah, that is weird. He should have fired his his agent for getting him all these awful roles. Because that really... those problem child movies were pretty big. Yeah. Seem seems like he could have moved on. Who cares? Anyway, we're here to talk about. Brain scan. Scan brain. Yeah, this movie is surprisingly good. I I actually appreciated the fact that it was so straightforward versus like being this wacky over the top nonsense because there are some really great sort of thrills to it. Like these set up these scenes where Michael is running from either the police or some adults or a a mob. Yeah, the the, poli- the but that's one of my favorite scenes where F- Frank Langella it plays a police officer investigating the murders that have suddenly cropped up in this small town. It is in his estimation and his expertise as a an experienced lawman, he has decided to recruit the neighborhood goons into yeah. <laughs> some kind of makeshift neighborhood watch, and he was like, "If I see any of you guys, uh." With a gun, I'm gonna arrest you. But other than that, get together as a gang and rove around and keep your eyes peeled for some kind of a murderer. Yeah, it's and it to the surprise a... of no one, it does not go well. In fact, it ends with the death of his partner. I forgot. I forgot his partner died. Like I said, I forget a lot of the specifics of who gets killed and. Why? Because it's not as important. I love that moment because he he looks at the group of idiots who shot him, and he's like, "Which one of you want to tell his wife?" <laughs> yes, I remember that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, it's, that's gold. That's good um, stuff. Well, I will say this movie. Like, I like this movie a lot too, and it, it, mainly as kind of like this bizarre like snapshot of a certain tone and a certain time and certain. T- you know, uh, like I said earlier, like public fears of video games and this belief that like a computer can do anything, uh, percep- public perception. So it's a lot of fun in that respect. But I do think, just in credit to the actual filmmaking, I think the what, even though like his response to the trickster being uh, a, a physical being is kind of odd, the way he kind of gets in deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into these murders and keeps getting driven to accidentally or eventually on purpose kill more it's pretty well done you know because you like he's like well the only way i can get out of this is to play the game again type of thing and it's like but that's exactly how you ended up killing people in the first place you know yep and that's exactly what trickster wants and throughout their various debates and arguments it always ends with him playing the next disc yes which is really cool and the way that is set up and executed, I think, works very well, you know, particularly given how goofy other parts of the movies are, that the fact that they were able to pull that off so well is, that's a pretty good little nod. And probably something that was in the original screenplay before it was, like, rewritten to hell, obviously. Yeah, they do a good job of sort of giving him this descent where he's cu- he stops going to school, he cuts ties with all of his friends, which are not mm-hmm. many, obviously, but... Well, he also kills when his best friend. Yeah, and he he isolates himself, and it just gets worse and worse, and he has fewer ties kind of keeping him sane, right? He has fewer anchors 
uh, to reality. And his, I love the the moment where his his dad says on the answering machine, uh, "I'll be home at the end of the week" or something like that. And it's like, I I waited and waited. I was like, "Oh, when's dad gonna get home? Is he gonna kill the dad?" You never see the dad. No, you never see the dad. So, what? How about the big reveal, the big twist at the end? Should we talk about that? Oh, I love the ending. I fucking love the ending. Let's start with Michael going to the next door neighbor girl's house to kill her because she right. saw him uh, limping outside after accidentally killing the principal. Yes, which I is think that's so. kind of an interesting scene too, and then. He accidentally kills the principal, and then the the cop gets shot. And so he escapes that crime scene and then goes to the object of his affection's house, and he's sort of struggling with this idea that he's got to kill her versus he wants to stop killing. It's a real conundrum. <laughs> the only way for me to kill less people is to kill more people. If I just is... kill one more, then I won't have to kill anybody else. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much, that's the... Uh... <laughs> that's the, the the message from this movie is like if you don't want to kill people you have to kill like a lot of people well and that's why trickster to... is so tricky because he's yeah. very convincing he makes that's a true. lot of good points so then they, they they have this confrontation where he's like does he decide like he's not going to kill her or something and then trickster shows up and isn't too happy about that and yeah trickster does and... really wants to force his hand this is sort of the culmination of their back and forth battle and so he seemingly possesses Michael like a ghost. They do kind of like a, like a, it's like the uh, time cop thing where like the two physical forms merge. There's and actually original- a cool behind the scenes video where uh, Steve Johnson, who did the makeup effects on this, they did like a really cool, super complex, like prosthetic monster that was sort yeah, of. Yeah, like a mutated, like kind of like. It looks reminiscent of something in like a, a Leviathan or the thing of just like this mangle of human limbs, like kind of squished together in a blender type of thing. Yep, it's half Michael, half Trickster, and it's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. They didn't end up using it, but uh, the behind the scenes video of it's pretty sweet. Yeah, agreed. And then, lo and behold, what do we find out? It was all a dream. Well, yeah, Trickster seemingly called Frank Langella to come, the police officer to come. Oh, and yeah. he is super pissed, so he kicks in the door, and he shoots Michael dead, and then he jolts awake. And was it a dream, or was that the the completion of the game? Well, it's not actually a dream. He was, the whole time that all this was happening, it was all in the game world. He The game, the, 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 he, got, he got the disc, game disc for real, from Fangoria magazine and started playing it and then did the thing where like it went into his brain and hypnotized him and everything that transpires from the moment he starts playing the game the, game the first time in the movie till the that scene is all we find out it's all in the game world he was in the game the entire time I say it was all a dream because it's like that type of ending where you find out that what you witnessed didn't actually occur in reality um Normally, I really don't care for those endings, but I think it does work pretty well here, given the you know, particularly given the tone and themes of was like, can you tell the difference between the game and, re- and reality and blah 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 blah. Um, and what 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 the the scenes that happen immediately after this of him waking up are hilarious. Oh yeah, so I fully I fully back that that move in this particular story. Yeah, I was 100% not expecting it or sort of anticipating anything. I was just kind of in the moment. And so when it happened, I was giddy, absolutely yeah. giddy. He's like, what? None of this happened at all? Blah, blah, blah. And then he takes the game out of his like CD-ROM and looks at it. And he's like, you put me through hell. And he's like talking to the game disc. And then he starts smashing all of his computers because technology did him wrong. Well, it was like, the, it's like a... It's a wonderful life ending where he's like, I saw a world where the culmination of my interest in the the dark and the macabre and my chasing whatever this this fear and excitement is like completely took away everything that I cared about. And now I'm back. 
I've got a second chance and I'm going to be a happy person. I don't right. need all like, this, sh- the fucking talking computer and Fangoria magazine and speakers. I don't need any of that stuff. I just want yeah, my he, friends back. He got the ultimate thrill that he's always been after. And yeah, he told his friend that he loved him. Yeah, his friend, his friend that he thought he murdered shows up. And he's yeah. like, it's good to see you. It's good to see how you've been. And it's like, he's like, I was here yesterday. Um, then there's a party going on next door at the girl next door's house and him and his friend go over to that and he's like, I'm finally going to make the move. I'm going to ask her out. Yep. Now, keep in mind, earlier in this movie, I mean, obviously a lot of their interactions that we witnessed, we find out they didn't actually have because it was in the game. But prior to that, before playing the game, like she's in the horror club too, right? Isn't she? Is yeah, she a little the- bit. She's in the horror club, and like he spies on her, like through the window. But she's like knows he's she spies on her, and she seems into it, which is kind of just creepy and weird. Yeah. And also, very very much of its time. I'm not defending it in that sense. It's like that's not a good uh, idea. But like she seems to be genuinely be into him. Yeah. She goes this. over to the house constantly when she thinks that he's sick. She goes and gets all of his homework from his different classes and wants to make sure he's okay. Like. It's weird. They set it up as, oh, they're having this cat and mouse game where he's a pervert, but she's secretly into it, and maybe she's a bigger pervert than he is. Right. But then they're also just like normal friends and seem right. very familiar with each other. And then when he, and then when he, you know, finally musters up this courage to ask her out, she, she he does, and then she goes nah. And it's a very like it's a very unenthusiastic one way or the other. It's not like oh heavens no, it's just kind of like, ah no. And then she backpedals like, and is like, yeah, she, I, like, I mean goes, maybe uh, I'll think about it. And he's like, and he, maybe you'll think about it. Wahoo! Yeah, he's over the moon with from this like <laughs> yeah maybe I'll go out with you. I don't have anything better to do this weekend type of thing. He's like fuck yeah I, I did it yep. it's so and before, bizarre before she goes back to attend to her drunk party guest she gives him a kiss it's yes. very strange it doesn't make a yeah. lick of sense 10 out of 10 it's, I mean maybe she was just like I I really I, if, if, I, if I actually go on a date with you the, the weird spying game and I know ends and that's really what I, where, how I get my rocks off you know? yeah it really is like the end of an era it's like oh no you shattered the sort of the veil of of mystery and excitement between us so so like maybe she's in the same position where that's what she's chasing so he's obsessed with you know fear and horror and stuff like that and then she's obsessed with whatever what if that had been like the 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 sequel to this like brain scan 2 where she starts playing the sequel to brain scan and instead of it being a murder game it's this weird voyeuristic type game where she becomes the witness to something horrible and then gets caught into a, an increasingly elaborate web of trying to evade or cover up or just you know avoid being the next victim and he's know, just so. watching the entire time so it's like rear window but from the opposite side correct yes i do also appreciate the fact that instead of getting like a like a vixen type for that role, they got sort of a like a Sarah Plain and Tall. Yes. Like she was very much like a, a realistic seeming person and not this like Kelly Bundy from Married with Children right. type, which would have been like pretty common in this era. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she's cute, but she, like you said, looks like a, a regular person. Yeah, just more of a normal person versus, you know, something absurd. But then that's not the end. What's next? You're right. There's something else. It's it's so much ahead of its time. It's This is an innovative film where there's a mid-credits scene. What? I thought you were misspent about like how he went back out to the party and was like talking to his friend. He's like, she said maybe or something. Like, There's a mid-credits scene. I did not watch that. What is the final shot? So I remember it. Let me like, isn't it something like, I watched this actually like a week ago, so it's not entirely fresh. But like there's a shot where you come back out like, outside from the inside after talking to the, the the neighbor girl and goes back to his friend Kevin or whatever and he's like she said maybe and it doesn't just kind of like pan out and we just see the him in the re, finally in the real world surrounded by people and like that's kind of like the shot oh yeah like, I think part, so you know I think that's kind of how it ends yeah and, and then, then like, after so that yeah the credits start rolling and then trickster shows back up on the TV and like shatters the screen he's like I think you forgot one thing 
and then it's the dog running up to the front of his house with the foot and leaves it on the sidewalk. What? (laughs) I did not see that. That's amazing. Yeah, I rented this. I I had to scour around to find an HD version. Yeah. uh, Because there's a version on, a couple versions on YouTube and a couple of standard definition versions to rent. But I was like, no, I want the, the high def one. So I think... This is from the one of the more recent either Blu-rays or DVDs. Yeah, that, that scene plays about, I don't know, 10 or 15 seconds into the credits. I didn't, yeah, I, I think I just stopped watching it as soon as the credits hit. Yeah, it would make so sense. That. This was not a common occurrence. Uh, I'm going to have to go check that out because I watched it. And I have like access to a friend's uh, Plex account, and he had just downloaded it like not that long ago. Oh, nice. So I can, I can just go right back and check it out and see what I missed. Yeah, I love the I love the Total Recall ending where he wakes up and everything's fine. I've had nightmares like that before where it, they felt real and but when you wake up and realize that they're not real, it is like such a shot of euphoria like just for a for oh, a short yeah. time. Like the feeling doesn't last, but for a short time, like you feel like everything's going to be okay. Well, I don't know. I I think I told oh, you about no. this. What? Oh no, we completely glossed over the the actual ending where he goes to the principal's office. Oh right. He, That's it. <laughs> it's the ring ending. Right. Oh my god, you're right. That's so good. Cuz like the principal earlier on had canceled the horror club and was like, "If you want to do any more of these movies, you got to give me the movies first and I'll review them. And if I can get through them and if I think it's appropriate, then maybe I'll let you. Yeah. And he's like, Hey, I want to play this game for the horror club. Here it is. And he's got this devilish smile on his face. Right. And it's like, wait a second, wait a second. You were, came out of that whole experience, like a changed kid. And like, why are you giving this to the principal so that they become a murderer? Yeah, it's strangely like that was the one of the the ending from a different version of this movie. Well, you know what? He comes out a changed kid, but he's still pissed off at that principal because that guy's a tool. I guess so. And now, and the- yeah, that that is like the meanest prank though you could do to somebody is just like, hey, remember when you thought you were an actual murderer because you played this game and the emotional, like, and psychological stress it put you through. Here you go. It's the uh, uh, it's a wonderful life ending, right? Like he comes out with a new lease on life, new respect for humanity and those around him. Maybe he's trying to do the principal a favor, you know? This like curmudgeonly old principal who doesn't understand fun or under understand other people around him, you know, and that they're just trying to exist and be themselves and get through any way they can. Like this principal needs a wake up call. He needs to see that, you know, the 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 the, the, the trouble that you know that you have to go through in order to become fully actualized technically he's not going to really become a murderer he's going to eventually wake up from the nightmare and life will be back to normal so there is a possibility that this could just teach him a lesson or it's just a funny scene at the end of the movie i wanted to say though because you brought up the thing about uh you know waking up from a nightmare and that that relief type of thing i think i told you about this but i recently had a dream where like I was like talking to somebody and I like like playfully shoved them and they like fell over and cracked their skull open and died and I was like oh no oh no like I've I've killed this person I got to cover it up and then like I you know like buried them or something and then I woke up from the dream and for like just like uh, two seconds while I was still half asleep I had this feeling of like oh my god what have I done. Yeah, like you were. This was a problem you were gonna have to sort out when you finally like woke up. Right. That I was like, I can't, and like it was just for a moment, but it was just like this intense feeling of like, like every bad feeling you can have, all at once, of like I can't believe this. I you know I I'm a monster. I've killed somebody, accident or not. You know, like I covered it up. Like I wear, I don't, I, I, how come I didn't remember this? Did I repress the memory? Like, where's the body? What am I going to do? And then like instantly, like as soon as I'm like a little bit more awake, I'm like, oh, right. That wasn't a dream. But it was like that feeling in that moment was way more intense than any nightmare I've ever had while the nightmare is going on type of thing, you know? 
Very, very appropriate for this uh, this discussion and this this movie. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you were not subjected to the sinister mind games of the trickster. Well, I got into I tricked my I got into my own head. I was subjected to the mind games of the greenster. Yeah, that's right. I, I became my own worst enemy. Yeah, you did. <laughs> anyway, I'm glad we finally did this one because this is one we've been talking about doing for quite some time. You know. Yeah, it's definitely come up on more than one occasion. Right in line with some stuff we did in the past, like Ghost in the Machine and stuff like that. Yeah, among um, even... its contemporaries, like Ghost in the Machine, Lawnmower Man, all those types of movies, I think it actually stands out quite a bit. I agree, yeah. It has definitely has a unique vibe, and it's more, uh, I want to say darker, but more like just kind of, it, it, it does more unique in its presentation, I guess. I think it sits in somewhere in between like a Goosebumps episode and like an adult thriller. I think it's actually oh like pretty pretty in line with a like a teenage thriller, honestly. This is 100% a Goosebumps or Are You Afraid of the Dark storyline just with violence and and stuff. Like if it was Goosebumps, he never would have actually killed anybody, right? He just would have done some bad things. Like kidnap like, them or... Maybe. I mean, most likely it would have been like water ballooned their house or something. I oh, yeah. It would have been pranks. Their... I would have, yeah, it would have been pranks. It would have like, he would have ridden like Joey sucks on top on like the side of uh, the school. Or like scratch someone's car, right, right? With a screwdriver or like deflated their tires. Yeah. It would have been stuff in the, in that realm. Um, the trickster would have looked identical. Oh, yeah. Definitely. It would have looked exactly like There would have been no difference. That yeah, that, that the way that character was portrayed and visually and, and, and in performance and stuff would have been nearly the same. Back to the the trickster for a second, I could have, I would have been fine with seeing a couple more of these movies with the trickster kind of terrorizing a new town and some different kids. Well, it would be difficult to do that though because, like you said, maybe they brought this character in because that was the plan. But once you know the kind of like what the final conceit of the movie is in the sense that it was it is just a video game and the whole time it was just a video game, like it, is, it essentially defangs that character, you know, from having any like a future future weight as a bad guy. It's true, but I think maybe with a different. Like, it definitely would have been a, a lot of a retread, but I think maybe with a different creative team and, like, a fresh a fresh look, who knows? Maybe they could have, could have had something. I guess something. the one thing you could have done is, the, like, they could have been coming out with, like, in the movie Brain Scan 2, they were coming out with the game Brain Scan 2, and in the creation of that, they, they introduced some new, highly advanced AI, and in that game, the in that realm, the trickster really did become real. And maybe didn't become a physical manifestation, but took over like the the internet, and was like jumping between different people's computers and terrorizing all these neighborhood k- kids for real. You know, like the game was sentient. I guess was is, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I guess That's if you brought you... it into modern terms, the equivalent would be like the brain scan becomes like this online juggernaut of a game, almost like Fortnite or something, where right. everyone in the nation is playing it, and so trickster becomes more powerful than ever and then yeah he becomes more of a like a freddy krueger type where he can just go wherever he wants and do whatever he wants but that's the only way i could conceivably see like a sequel is like the game would have to become like self-aware you know and then like the fictional character of the the fictional character within the fictional I mean, obviously, all these characters are fictional, but they acknowledge him being a fictional character. He stops being fictional in the world of the of the movie. Or hear me out: the president's daughter plays Brain Scan, and it's up to the Secret Service to stop Trickster once and for all. I watch that. <laughs> she the Trickster kidnaps her, but really, she just kidnapped herself. Yeah, that's right. She's sending she's sending ransom notes from Trickster, but she's writing the notes the whole time. She just doesn't realize it. Yep, that's it. You understand the game. Boom. Elliot Greenman is a guy who gets it. 
Well, okay, that's final thoughts, final recommendations. Do you want people to check this movie out? Or Brain what? scan, What's... watch it. Make sure you watch the high-definition version, though, and sit through the credits. Yeah, I'm going to say the same thing. Like this is a lo- even, even after having it spoiled by us, I would say it's still going to be a lot of fun to actually watch a lot of this stuff happen because I don't think we're really... If you're not familiar with this movie, I don't think we're doing justice in truly describing some of the visuals and the way the characters actually act and come across in the movie. It's kind of like, it's so unique and like tonally odd. It's hard to just just describe type of thing. Yeah, make a night of it with Ghost in the Machine. Double feature. Okay, so that pretty much, I think, sums up this one. We're coming back. What Next episode, what are we doing, Keith? Uh, we're still doing the Cursed, cursed Films. Cursed Films right? coming up yeah. on tap. Doing a little bit, little bit of that spooky stuff. Yeah, reacting to uh, what I guess it's like one of those things that's popular with the kids these days is a media that is a reaction to another media outlet. So we'll watch some of those cursed films episodes on, uh, on the TV show. So they're they're talking about the movies. Now we're going to talk about those movies and the way that show talked about the movies. I don't know, something like that. Right? Oh, we're going to be talking about. Uh... Cursed movies and movie curses and curses in general. Hell yeah. So yeah, that wraps it up. We'll talk to you soon. We got some more fun stuff coming. Um, I think that's all I got to say. Buddies forever. Buddies, Buddies forever. forever. And until next time, the dumpster is closed. Goodbye, everybody. Everybody go back to doing what you were doing.